Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, my friends. I was hoping a week ago that we would meet today under much better circumstances. And I have to say that uh, I was hoping kind of against hope. I had never any doubt that President Trump was immensely popular, but I also uh, took very seriously Nancy Pelosi's words that he would never be allowed to stay in the White House for a second term, and even more importantly, that he would be, quote-unquote, have to be fumigated from the White House, and there was this other talk about using the military to remove him and so on. And to me, the second part of her statement was more telling. I mean, first of all, her statement was not, how should I say, a typical politician's um, uh, braggadocio about their side winning. Her statement was a statement of fact. She was just telling things that she did not believe to be true, but she knew to be true in terms of uh, President Trump not staying for the second term. and But the second part of her statement that he would have to be fumigated and whatnot, that told me that she fully expected President Trump to win the election. And then, after the election was won, she knew that it would be rigged, fixed, stolen, whatever words you want to use, uh, so that uh, he would appear uh, to have lost. And she also knew that he was not the kind of guy who would say, oh, well, you know, you cheated me out of this, and so I'm just going to, you know, leave. She knew that he would be um, incensed, livid, and also that he would be uh, willing to sacrifice a lot in his fight for the American people. In other words, in his fight to make sure that the American people's voice, which had so clearly re-elected him, would not be uh, put to waste. And in that, uh, in, in both assessments, she had proven to be right. And the reason that she had proven to be right was because she knew exactly what would happen. She was a party to the election rigging, the election stealing plans of the Democrats. And she was uh, most likely among the leaders Uh, of those plans and among the people that cooked them up and uh, then put them into action. You know, uh, it's not a secret that there is a saying attributed to uh, Joseph Stalin, the Russian, in fact, Georgian, um, uh, tyrant or dictator in the Soviet Union between the years, between the early 30s and the early 50s. And... um, or the mid fifties, I should say. I think I think he died in nineteen fifty six, um, and um, uh, the saying that's attributed to him uh, is is that it doesn't matter who casts the votes; what matters is who counts the votes. Now, this saying sounds uh, very sinister, but if you think about it, it actually is absolutely correct in all cases. In all cases. <clears throat> 
In other words, in every society, uh, no matter how well and properly it's run, the people that count the votes are extremely important. I mean, in the first ever election held in America in the 1780s, uh, there were people counting the votes. You know, there is, it's, it's absolutely clear that among millions of votes that are cast, you're not going to have millions of people counting. So what happens in every election is that uh, the voters, the people who cast the votes, uh, of whom there are millions, and even in early American days there were still millions, you know, clearly not hundreds of millions, but millions. Um, and the people who, so millions cannot be counting the votes. You know, in America today, we know that there were something on the, on the order of 150 million votes cast, but the people that are involved in counting the votes are probably more like on the order of across all of the U.S., 15,000. So you have about four orders of magnitude. In other words, for each something like 10,000 voters, there is one vote counter. So if you think about it kind of scientifically, we, the populace, we, the voters, we trust people who count votes to count them correctly. We delegate to them this very, very important task of properly counting and tabulating our votes and then presenting the result to their superiors. And this is always a bit of a leap of faith, I guess, but normally it works. But there are some conditions under which this reduction from uh, millions upon millions of voters to, you know, a thousand times or 10,000 times fewer vote counters. There are some conditions under which this reduction works. And we can kind of uh, venture to enumerate those conditions. I would say that the foundational condition uh, that, that this, that this uh, scenario works is a high trust society. In other words, a society in which the citizens or the citizens of which substantially trust each other. And in America of 1780s and maybe even 1880s, uh, that was the case. You know, we know that in many American towns, people left their doors open when they went out. People left their bikes on the streets. Um, people said hello to each other. They didn't all love each other or like each other, but they substantially trusted each other. So there was certainly a criminal element, but those were criminals. Outside of that, people had a very good reason to believe. Their trust was not naive. They had a very good reason to believe that other citizens, their fellow citizens, uh, were trustworthy. In other words, that they would never do something like change a ballot from candidate A to candidate B, from President Trump to Joe Biden, for example. They, they just wouldn't do that. So there was, this, there was a high-trust society. I mean, another 
condition that has to exist in order to have a successful vote counting operation is there has to be a feeling of community. In other words, people have to feel that they belong to the same community, especially in America, where votes are counted mostly locally. In other words, when you vote in America in your uh, local you know, high school gym, your votes are typically counted not too far from that gym because they're count- counted in uh, your district, right? So um, it would be reasonable to expect that the people, and that has always been the case, that the people who count your votes are substantially your neighbors, and if not your very close neighbors, then they are certainly members of your community. So back in the day, again in the 1780s and in the 1880s, you were very likely to meet these people who count your votes, for example, in church. Right? Because everybody went to church every Sunday, and, you know, and, and, if you went to a Methodist church, you were likely to, to meet somebody who was on the committee that was counting the votes. Or if you went to your Catholic church and Pente- Pentecostal and so on, right? Episcopal. So there was this community of people who A, had every reason to trust each other and B, belonged to the same community where they met physically in places like churches and church picnics and so on, and had to look each other in the eye. They had to look each other in the eye. And, and, and then there is a third condition for the, for the vote counting to be fair. And that third condition is also a kind of a foundational condition for any representative government. And it's the, by far the most important one. And that condition is that the, the candidates that are running in the election, in other words, when you vote uh, for this candidate or uh, the other, that these candidates are not so diametrically opposed in their uh, worldviews and in their policy proposals. Democracies cannot survive, and I know that America is not a democracy, but a representative republic, but I'm just using shorthand democracy for representative government, or I'm, I don't have to use it, I guess, uh, since there's people who kind of hijacked that term. So I would maybe retract and say representative governments, governments that are uh, elected by the people, cannot really function when the people are so divided as to have diametrically opposed opinions about the direction that the nation should take on every possible aspect, in every possible way. That's not what representative governments are designed to do. In fact, the earliest representative governments, such as, for example, in uh, the Greek cities, the, the ancient Greek city-states like Athens and Sparta, and in uh, Rome, uh, the Republican Rome before it became kind of like America is becoming today uh, a globalist empire. Uh, 
in those places, elections were not so much about policies. It, it was not so much about um, the direction of the country, but more so, much more so, about who was the right person to direct the country in a direction that was substantially agreed by everybody to be the right direction. In other words, elections were about choosing the best manager, choosing the best leader to meet the challenges of the future in a way that was substantially not under dispute. In other words, people knew and agreed upon in broad terms about what, where they wanted to go, what, what policies they wanted to be implemented, and what they chose was who was the right person to implement them. In uh, Switzerland, for example, which is a kind of a federal entity, even though a small country, it's uh, divided into these cantons, substantially almost independent uh, states, like, in, uh, like supposed to be in America. Um, the direction of the country is substantially agreed upon and always has been by the vast majority of the population. And what they select, as I mentioned previously, they select or elect the person that is uh, the right person to lead the country in, in that agreed upon direction. Now, once in a while, there are questions that arise about changing the direction of the country. And then those questions are brought usually to a referendum or to a plebiscite, which is, uh, you know, like in the States, it also happens often in, on a state level where they say, you know, legalize drugs or not. Or that. So that kind of thing is in Switzerland often brought to a referendum so that it kind of divorces the question of policy and the question of who is the leader that's going to implement the policy. So the policy in and of itself is brought to the electorate to decide uh, whether they want to adopt, adopt policy A or policy B, and then the elected leader is bound as a manager, kind of as a manager in a company would be bound by the vote of the board of directors or the shareholder meeting to implement the agreed upon policy in the same way the elected leader of the country is bound to implement the policy that was agreed upon in a referendum, let's say, to the best of his or her ability. So, uh, substantially in, 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 in successful representative governments, um, you have a situation where the fundamental direction of the country is not under dispute. There may be disputes about some minute differences, but the main dispute is who is the right person to lead the country because people uh, of that type who want to be leaders, especially on a scale of the United States, tend to be very ambitious and they firmly believe that uh, they have big, big egos and they firmly believe that they would be most successful in leading uh, the country. And then the people weigh in and say, yeah, I think that person A or person B is the right leader, but 
the differences on policy between them are not big. And so when you have uh, people who count the votes, when they, they, let's say that they support choice B for president, but when they see a, a ballot come across their desk or the, that, that is cast by somebody who thought otherwise and they thought that President A would, I mean, the, the candidate A rather would be the, the better choice for um, a president, they don't feel very much inclined to, to, to tamper with that ballot or to change it or to throw it out because to them, first of all, they have to face their neighbors. They have high trust in their neighbors. They are, the people who cast that vote are members of their community. But second of all, or third of all, they also don't necessarily think that, per, that this choice for candidate A is a disastrous choice because they know that candidate A is going to implement substantially similar policies to what their choice, candidate B, would be implementing. Okay, so they don't, they don't have very strong, visceral opinions about either candidate. They may have a slight preference for one candidate, but the other one is fine too. And we'll talk more about that in the next segment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health. Sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, my friends. So, in the last segment, I mentioned that the trust that must exist between the people who cast the votes and uh, at least 1,000, more likely 10,000 times fewer people uh, who count the votes, that trust rests on three foundations. The first foundation is that the society itself is worthy of a representative government. In other words, that the society is a high trust society where people, where citizens have every reason to believe that, uh, that other citizens are worthy of their trust and would believe, uh, sorry, would behave honorably. The other foundation is that there is a sense of community that when you do something wrong, like, for example, destroying uh, one of the ballots ca cast by, your, uh, by, by, by people in your uh, community, you have to face these people, for example, in, ch in church. In other words, 
you, you have to, if you if you change the ballot, if you destroy the ballot, if you discard the ballot, you are likely to meet the person that cast that ballot. You don't know who cast it, but but you it, it's very likely that one of the people that cast it is in your church group. Okay, that he he or she was on the organizing committee of the church picnic that you just attended and so on. And the third and most important foundation is the foundation or the idea that people in the country generally agree on the direction that the country is going in. And what what is in dispute is only who is the right person or which is the right person to lead the country in that substantially agreed-upon direction, with minor differences. And when those three conditions exist, then the people counting the votes can be relied upon to count them properly to the best of their ability, or their abilities. Now, errors may occur, human errors, but those errors would be what we call in science non-systemic errors, in other words, random errors. So if there is a random encounter that favors uh, candidate A, there would be uh, quite likely another error that that favors candidate B, both unintentional and therefore they can go either way. And then those errors are substantially a washout. And they don't affect the result. If the result is very, very close, the, the ballots can be recounted, in which case the recount is meaningful because those errors can be corrected by a more, clo- by a more close or closer observation of the ballots. And you can correct even this random error. So in other words, the random error is supposed to fix itself to within a certain plus minus, you know, in a large, let's say in Florida, like in 2000, uh, it could be a few hundred votes, but it can't be accepted, it can't be expected to correct itself all the way. If it doesn't, and if the difference between the candidates is very, very small as percentage of all votes cast, then a recount should address the problem. And those three conditions that I just mentioned existed in America in, 17, in the 1780s and the 1880s. In the 1980s, you're talking about uh, Reagan's time, they already became, began to deteriorate. And today, they, they do not exist. They've been completely destroyed. So if we look at those three conditions uh, in the light of today's America, we see that neither one of them, not a single one of them, yet remains in force. America is no longer a high-trust society. We know that the small towns where people don't have to lock their doors, even if they still, if they still exist at all, are very, very few and far between. On the contrary, we know that uh, in most places, uh, people have to install sophisticated alarm systems to make sure that their houses uh, are not burglared. 
we know that uh, more and more Americans, uh, uh, people who are far from being gun enthusiasts, enthusiasts are buying uh, firearms for personal protection inside and, and outside of the home. We know that crime in America is rampant. And we know that the American um, government worker, uh, workers are uh, often um, very lacking, lacking in the conscience department. So America can no longer be, be described as a high-trust society and not even close to a high-trust society. America is now much closer to the other limit of low-trust society, which is very common in the world. The lo a low-trust society is by far the more common mode of existence for most of mankind. Or as Justin Trudeau put it, people kind. So when you look at places like India, for example, uh, with over a billion population, and I've worked with uh, a lot of Indians in my past as an engineer, uh, great people, of course, and all of that, but, uh, and I've been to India, but when they talk about, you know, India, uh, they, they never trust anyone. In other words, the default is that you will be mugged if you're a woman, that you will be raped unless you're able to somehow protect yourself and be very smart about where you go or don't go. The default in your dealings with any kind of government employee, for example, to get your driver's license or whatever, is that that person is, uh, takes bribes. And so you will most certainly not get anything accomplished unless you bribe them. So you bribe them matter-of-factly. You bribe first and ask questions later. And in fact, the amount of your bribe is what determines how quickly you get your... Um, issue addressed, if at all. And uh, so uh, for, for somebody from India or from China, for that matter, the idea that, or Russia, the idea that you <clears throat> trust in your government to do the right thing is an absolutely laughable idea. Nobody in China or in India trusts the government to do anything without being bribed, let alone the right thing. Right? Well, America is now that country. There's, there is no trust, and rightly so. The other part of it is uh, the other uh, foundation for vote counting, correct vote counting, is the sense of community. Well, that doesn't exist in America anymore either, because when you cast your uh, vote in your local high school gym, whatever, that vote is still counted somewhere not too far from where you cast it in, 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 in your district. But the people who are counting your votes have nothing to do with you. Uh, they don't, people don't go to churches anymore nearly in the numbers that they used to. They don't meet each other. Okay, so the people that are counting your votes are exceedingly unlikely to ever meet you in person or care about you. They live in their own little communities that are nowadays in America more segregated by color, by race, 
by uh, and really by a kind of a political worldview. You know, so in other words, if you cast your vote maybe in a uh, affluent suburb uh, and it's being counted closer to the inner city, the people that are counting your votes are never going to see you. They don't know who you are. All they know is they don't like you. Okay. And then the third one, and that's the most uh, crucial one, is that elections in America, progressively so, but certainly uh, the last one, and even more so this one that just happened, they're not so much about who leads America, but about where America is going to go, and even more so, and that is the problem, about what America is. And that's the issue. Because for people who cast their votes for President Trump the second time around now, for them, America is a constitutional republic. For them, the Constitution, that old document that still exists in Washington, D.C., under glass, to them, that document is extremely important. And the... And the provisions that it sets for God-given rights and at least somewhat, or at least in theory, limited government, to them those provisions are <clears throat> foundational to the country that they want to see themselves living in. Okay, And actually, far exceed any policy or politics goals. To them, the idea that America is this country which is based upon the vision of its founding fathers is paramount. And President Trump, their choice for leader, simply represents, he embodies that country that they want to live in. And they, so not only do they feel that he is more suited to leading the country in that direction, or keeping the country what it has been, <clears throat> i.e. a constitutional republic, but that he embodies within himself that ideal, uh, that uh, concept of a, of, a, of a representative government, of a government by the people, from the people, and for the people. Well, the people who cast their votes for Joe Biden have a totally different view, diametrically opposed view of what America should be, not only what America should do as a matter of policy with taxation, regulation in the Middle East or elsewhere. They have a fundamentally different opinion about what America is as a country. Those people who cast their votes for Joe Biden they think that the, that the Constitution is an outdated document that was uh, developed and brought into this world by racist, de despicable white men, uh, the kind of people that they literally and viscerally hate. In other words, people who voted for Joe Biden, this is important to understand because Many Americans don't quite, as of yet, as they say, internalize this fact. 
but it's important that they do, and the sooner the, let, the better. The people who vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris hate, I'm talking about hate, George Washington and John Adams and ben, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and all of them together. They hate them. To them, these people represent everything that's evil in the world. They're literally kind of the spawn of Satan. And I'm not exaggerating. And the republic that, as Benjamin Franklin so famously remarked, they created and kind of entrusted to the next generations, to those people who vote who voted for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, that republic is the illegitimate child of evil people. It is, if they are Satan, in other words, if the founding fathers are Satan, then America is the spawn of Satan to them. And again, I'm not exaggerating. And when that happens, you know, when you're a vote counter, okay, and you see a ballot for President Trump, in other words, a ballot for keeping America what it is, and even more so returning it to what it was. In other words, this constitutional republic as, in, as envisioned by the founding fathers. And if you believe that this country is fundamentally evil, then you destroy that ballot, you change it, you throw it out, you do everything that you possibly can in order for that ballot to not count. Because to you, the ballot is illegitimate. The person who created the ballot or filled out the ballot, in other words, the Trump voter is illegitimate. The whole system is illegitimate. And what you want to do is you want to bring it all down. You want to break America down. You want to remake it. You want to, tra you want to <coughs> fundamentally transform it, as Obama said he wanted to do. And you want to, you want to be rid of it. So you do what you can to help, that, to help achieve that goal. In other words, you destroy the Trump ballot. And let's ask ourselves who, I mean, literally, who are the vote counters? Well, the vote counters are people who, who work for state government, right? These are not, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, ballot box committee members are typically volunteers and whatnot, right? But the people who count the ballots... They, are, uh, they work for state government. And we know that people who work for the government in general, whether state or federal, <clears throat> are people on the American progressive left who hate America. Right, so, so think about it for a second. People who work for the American government hate America. They hate the country for the government of which they work, by the government of which they are employed, they hate it. Okay, so we know this for a fact, but the, the, the people who count the votes 
probably 80-90% of them vote Biden. And that has never been true in American history. So when these people see a Trump ballot, they get a visceral, hateful reaction, and they destroy it. Simple as that. Because to them, Trump is illegitimate, America is illegitimate. Or at least the America that is represented by Trump and his voters. It's illegitimate, it's evil, it must be disposed of, as far as these people are concerned. And this is a situation that has never existed before in America, so that's what we're faced with today. More of that, more on that next segment. Stay tuned. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world. Featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. In the last segment, um, we talked about how the people that count our votes are totally politically biased against President Trump, against America as a constitutional republic, and against the people who vote for President Trump and who vote to keep America as a constitutional republic. So when you have a situation in which, let's just say, let's just say, use rough numbers, but they are correct. So look at what's happening in America today. I believe that what is happening in America today is that something on the order of 55%, if not even 60% of the electorate at large, wants to keep America as a constitutional republic, wants to adhere to the Constitution, wants to keep the Constitution as the law of the land, and therefore voted for the one person who embodies all of that and the only person in the race who committed to keeping it that way, and that is President Trump. So in my opinion, at a minimum, President Trump received 
55% of the popular vote. And of course, that would mean a landslide in the Electoral College. But, and here is the problem, the people who <coughs> count the votes, okay, among those people who count the votes, the people who work for a state government in places like Austin, Texas, or Ann Arbor, Michigan, or Detroit, or Philadelphia, those people who count the votes are overwhelmingly against America as a constitutional republic. They feel that it is an evil country founded by evil people upon evil principles, substantially racism and slavery. And we know that those views are held by the vast majority. I'm talking about the vast majority, 70% and up, and I think realistically more like 80 and 90% of people who work for state and federal government, in this case, the state government is more important, believe the, have those beliefs, and those people hate America as it is now, they hate the people that wanted to stay that way. In other words, they hate Trump voters and they hate Trump himself. And so when these people, whenever they can, whenever they can do anything illegal to get rid of Trump votes without getting caught or without having a reasonable uh, suspicion that they would get caught, they do it. And we see all these video clips of ballots being thrown in the garbage. I'm sure those are all Trump ballots of, ba you know, of all these shenanigans. So, so whenever, they, whatever they can do to stop President Trump from being elected, they would do. Trash ballots, destroy ballots, invalidate Trump ballots, and then on the contrary, validate every piece of toilet paper that has the name Biden on it. So that's one piece of it. <clears throat> the other piece of it actually is the federal level, which supposed not which is not supposed to be involved in American elections at all. Because we know that <clears throat> the nature of America being a federal republic, we know that the federal government has no role to play <clears throat> in elections. Election day in America is not one election day, but rather 50 plus DC election days in, in each and every state and, and then in the District of Columbia when it comes to president or to choosing the electors for the electoral college. So, so supposedly it all has to be done at a state level without the intervention of the federal government. But that's not how it was done in this election. Because what happened in this election is that uh, the people who work for the federal government, the so-called deep state, have both a vested stake at destroying Trump and the Trumpian America, they have a personal, a vested personal stake in doing that. 
And also they have, so that's on the kind of on the frontal lobe, on the analytical side of things. And then emotionally, they have a visceral, burning, scorching hatred of America, which they often express. Think about the Peter Strzok and his lover, Page, Lisa Page, comments about the Americans that go to Walmart and so on. They hate those Americans with a burning hatred, with a burning passion, and they uh, want to do everything they possibly can uh, to make sure that those Americans do not get their say through the ballot box. And so what happened in this election is that it was stolen for, from President Trump and from the people who voted for him, obviously, uh, in two different ways. It was a pincer movement. On one hand, you had just the local guys on a state level destroying Trump ballots, throwing them in the garbage, and at the same time doing everything they can validate, a so-called cure, every illegally cast ballot for Joe Biden. And that alone may have been enough to guarantee uh, President Trump's quote-unquote loss. But unlike in the previous election, in which they were caught kind of unawares, <clears throat> the people in Washington, D.C., I'm talking about the CIA people of this world and similar, the deep, the deep staters, the intelligence community people, they decided that this time they would not leave it to chance. They would not leave it to those organic, I guess you could call them grassroots kind of people destroying Trump ballots. Oh no, this time they would help them out. So the second pincer movement, or the second uh, part of that pincer movement, was the deployment, apparently, of very powerful software tools, hammer and scoreboard, that were designed by the CIA to throw elections in other countries. And, you know, probably using also these Dominion machines that are made in Canada and so on and so on. So in other words, there was this uh, effort on the federal level to aid in the destruction, invalidation of Trump uh, voters' voices and in destroying or subverting or redirecting the ballots that were cast for President Trump. And so with this pincer movement, which was planned, lo planned long in advance, as Nancy Pelosi, whom I mentioned in the first segment, that's what allowed her to state so matter-of-factly that Trump will not be in the White House come January 21st. And what they did, from their perspective of view, succeeded. Now, here's the thing. You may ask yourselves why are you know, world leaders congratulating Joe Biden based on, you know, an election that was called substantially by the Associated Press or whatever. 
and why they're in such a hurry to do so and why they have no faith that any of these um, recount or efforts or lawsuits would have, you know, success. And the reason that they don't believe that any of this will have any success and the reason that they believe Nancy Pelosi that Trump will not be in the White House on on the on January 21st is the same reason that I believe also that he will not be in the White House on January 21st regardless of how much it pains me to say so. And to best illustrate the reason that neither I nor uh, world leaders and so on believe that Trump will somehow regain his rightful place in the White House based on the fact that he was undoubtedly re-elected. The reason is very simple and it can be kind of illustrated when you think about something. And that something is this. No leader of a country can remain a le- can remain the leader when something like 90% of the people in his own country's capital hate him personally, hate his entire family, hate the vision that he has for the country, and hate all the people that support him. That is just not possible. There has, in, in, in the entire history of the human race, in the entire history of civilization, there has never been a case when a leader could hang on to power, whether an elected leader or a despot, a tyrant, doesn't matter. No leader can hang on to power when in his own nation's capital, in the place where he goes to sleep every day, 90% of the people, and I'm not talking about people who are in the elites or people who are um, uh, employed by the government or anything. 90% of the people, generally speaking, hate his guts. But that's the situation in Washington, D.C. I mean, from the people who sit on the stoops of their slums smoking crack to the people who live in $50 million homes and townhouses in Georgetown or whatever, they all hate Trump and anything in between. Plumbers in D.C. hate Trump. Electricians in D.C. hate Trump. Engineers in D.C. hate Trump. Doctors in D.C. hate Trump. And needless to say, the huge cohort that works for the federal government in D.C. and all its branches hate Trump. So, in other words, civilizations and their fates depend on <coughs> the urban elites. That's, that's just a fact. Civilization is synonymous with city. Civilizations gave rise, cities gave rise to civilizations. Without cities and without the so-called educated urban dwelling elites, there would be no civilization. And I'm not this, I love, I love farmers much better or much more than I love, you know, anybody who sits in a cubicle or in a fancy office, personally. 
but historically and factually, farmers have far less influence on in the direction that the country takes than the people who live in cities and have big educations and big jobs. That's just kind of how it is. And if you, if this election was held just among the people who occupy large cities in America and people who have all kinds of uh, college degrees and graduate degrees, we know what would have happened, right? We know that Trump gets elected and should have gotten re-elected on the sturdy shoulders of Americans who live in smaller cities and in the countryside and who often have less education. Now, I personally have all kinds of undergraduate and graduate degrees, and I'm a Trump supporter, and many people like me exist, but not enough. If you take 10 people who have similar similar educational credentials to me, nine would be, uh, would be Trump haters. All right? That's just how it is. And when that is the case, then the situation is predetermined. Uh, Trump cannot remain president in the face of everybody in his own capital city of Washington, D.C. hating him, in the face of substantially all the educated urban elites in America hating him. It's just not possible. Maybe some miracle will happen and... uh, the courts will somehow remedy this blatant steal. And I hope it does. I hope it does. But it would take literally a miracle. I mean, I'm talking about walking on water kind of miracle. And of course, we can have faith that those miracles do happen. And perhaps something like this will happen. But the chances of this are exceedingly remote. And that's why world leaders have all substantially congratulated Trump. I'm sorry, Biden. uh, Wishful thinking, eh? Congratulated Biden on his so-called election. Because they have to keep working with America going forward. And America is what it is. And what America is, is not what many of us think it is or many of us wish that it were. America is no longer, and I've written about this in my columns, America is no longer the country that it was conceived to be. America no longer has a government by the people, from the people, and for the people. The government that exists now in America is a deep state oligarchy very, very similar, if not identical, to the government that exists in China, in Russia, in France, in Japan, in Germany, in England, and so on. In other words, a government of bureaucrats who have nothing but disdain for the regular uh, citizens of their country. And these bureaucrats, these deep staters, have much more in common with their counterparts in other countries than with their own 
country men and women. And that's what America is today. Uh, the, the, the America as a constitutional republic is a residual image that exists only in the minds of people who love her, unfortunately. Maybe miracles will happen. Maybe this America will make a comeback. Maybe Trump will be president on January 21st. Let's pray for that. But let's also prepare for the more likely outcome that the world we live in is not the world that we want to be living in. And if we accept reality, we have a better ch uh, chance of staying safe and choosing to be free. Thank you, my friends. See you next time.